Hello, Fortune Seekers, and welcome to the official Mega Moth Studio podcast. In today's episode, we are going to be covering drama, how to add it to your game, with uh, us discussing the final quest mechanic, and then we're going to cover the 405 brewing event that we just had this past weekend. So settle in and get ready for some stories. Hello, Fortune Seekers, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Joel Watts. As always, I'm here joined by my uh, you know, my creative partner, my friend, and my co-host, Daniel Ayub. How Thank are you doing, you. Danny? I really appreciate that introduction. That's uh, very nice of you. Yeah, I just have to, you know, just have to say it all out. I mean, it's it's true. You are like three different things to me right now, if not more at this point. That's uh that's amazing. I really appreciate that. I would I would concur. I would say that uh, you are many things to me, and I appreciate all of them. Yeah, that's what that's what friends do when they reach this age. It's like if they got nothing else going on, they start a podcast. But in our situation, we created a game and then started a podcast. So, you know, really bonds the friendship. You know, long term. Yeah, uh, I don't think we'd be doing this if it wasn't for the game. I don't know if we feel like we have enough to talk about outside the game. <laughs> <laughs> At least not yet. But you know, now that we have the equipment and we got the schedule down, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be surprised if we start, you know, doing an episode by episode recap of One Piece or something like that here in the next, you know, I'd be few down. months. <laughs> I need I an excuse to feel like uh, it's not a problem for me to be sitting watching hours of One Piece. If you if we started now and we did one episode a week, we we'd have to do more than one episode a week, I'm sure. If we started now though and just it covered like, you know, even two to three episodes a week, we'd be at this for what? Probably another decade. I don't know, but it, it seems like it's uh a, a definitely a commitment. Yeah, but I was actually looking at uh I think I told you about this the other day. I was looking at the one piece card game and I yeah. was like really kind of digging it and they were it was just the tutorial for like you know the kids to like with the basic decks and i was like there's a lot going here especially the card backs the arts the mechanics i mean hey we if if we have a competitor out there i have a feeling we're going to be competing against the one piece game so we got to know our enemy oh really well i i love one piece i definitely will check out the game if it uh looks even reasonably playable i would definitely give it a go yeah i would say like I don't. I, I'm saying this as somebody who hasn't played a lot of the Pokemon TCG, but to me, it struck me as a better version of the Pokemon TCG. So to recap last episode, just really fast, we uh, covered our approach. So we covered our approach to teaching the game, as well as our approach to fixing the game when the people we taught broke the game. And that all came, I think, pretty handy. It was onto the top of our minds because we just did the 405 brewing event that we've been building up over the past few episodes. Mm -hmm. where We taught a lot of people back to back, and we're going to get into that later in the episode. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to talk about drama in the game, uh, creating drama and creating stories utilizing mechanics. And I think we have a really nifty mechanic to go over that uh, we introduced pretty early into the game called the final quest. Mm -hmm. And we're going to cover that. Uh, but before we do, I do have the question of the week here for you. Oh, boy. Okay, let's see. <laughs> so I think uh, for some reason, we were watching. Um, so during the Norm Norman event to set the stage, we were all staying in the same loft. Uh, your, uh, me, you, and your brother Lucas, who came out to help us with the event, as well as some of our, um, our in-town friends who would stay with us, uh, you know, at the very least, very deep into the night. 
Are, you, was, are you referring to the producer of this podcast, William? Yeah, I am. Well, well, I think William straight up stayed with. I mean, he might as well have been the fourth roommate, the fourth, uh, the fourth, fourth beetle, if you will. Fourth shirt brother. Yeah, the fourth shirt brother, and <laughs> and yes, we were all shirt brothers. I think we went to multiple days wearing the Mega Moth t-shirts. The hints why we're not wearing them on the podcast today. We're kind of sick of them after wearing them like three days straight while we were in Norman. But we would show up at. You know, very the diners and the local game stores all wearing the same shirt. We definitely got attention and eyes drawn to us walking in with this very stark, uh, high contrast black shirt with white logo on it. Uh, Absolutely, so we were, we were I, all. I think shirt if, if people have not had the experience of walking with a large group of people wearing matching T-shirts, you don't want it to be too large that it looks like you're on some sort of charity walk or something. Uh-huh. You want it to seem like you're part of like a small like group that's on a mission. So. If you can, I was going to. I was going to say just enough people to make a band. Like we're talking oh, like, between like three and seven. That's when those. That's like the sweet spot number of like. Okay, what's going on with those guys? Oh they, yeah, absolutely. But mm-hmm. you should definitely do it. I mean, it's interesting. People will actually talk to you in a way that people typically don't talk to you, and uh, you meet people and have interesting conversations. So, it's quite the conversation starter. I mean, we were stopped multiple times. Mm-hmm. And oddly, I guess Norman's not that big of a town because someone recognized us from one night to the next. And we're like, hey, are you guys those moth guys that were at Indiana Jones? <laughs> oh, man, that is something else we should cover in this episode. The uh, uh, Our experience watching Indiana Jones and the Dial Destiny. I'm sure we'll get to it just haphazardly. But I was going to ask you a question of the week because we spent some time watching uh, the wonderful sketch comedy show, uh, I Think You Should Leave. Mm-hmm. which I know you're a huge fan of. I'm, I appreciate it when I see it, but I don't go out of my way to watch it. Um, but it did get me thinking of the sketch comedy I grew up with. Like, and like most Americans, like the first sketch comedy show I ever watched was Saturday Night Live, which I feel like almost every you know, red-blooded American has some relationship to Saturday Night Live. Um, so I just thought I'd ask, you know, just as an icebreaker for us to get to know our audience better, to reveal ourselves to our audience, what is your favorite era of Saturday Night Live, if you have one? And if you don't, why not? So I would say that I did at one point in my life watch a lot of Saturday Night Live. It was not live or mm-hmm. on Saturday. No. It was on Comedy Central reruns. Yes. Um, and I, I would say that my era was definitely sort of Phil Hartman, Mike Myers, Chris Farley, Adam Sandler. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, Tim Meadows, um, that era was very, very, uh, uh, one of my absolute favorites. Um, Sherry O'Terry. Oh yeah. Uh, Anna Gasteyer, Molly Shannon. Um, for me, like that's, that's, you know, I, I can't speak to objectively how funny it was compared to what's on TV now. I just mm-hmm. know that, you know, at the stage of life I was at, you know, mm-hmm. I thought it was hilarious. Um, but if I'm being completely honest, I was always more of a kids in the hall. <laughs> I think if I were to sit down and just like watch a sketch comedy show, you know, kids in the hall would definitely be like what I would put on streaming. Um, it's coming and, back, I think. Uh, no, I think it. I think it already came back. Like, oh, I it, think, it did. Yeah, I think okay. so. Yeah, it was, there was a big uh, push for it recently, um, and I, 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 we would owe it to ourselves to watch the most recent episodes, but. Um, no, that's a great era of Saturday Night Live, and I did 
I think I had the same experience as you growing up watching that era uh, on Comedy Central, you know, in reruns. And I would put it very, very high on my list. Um, in fact, I might have chosen that if you hadn't chosen it. But I feel like to develop, like maybe even to, you know, be contrarian or just to add more to the conversation, I would say, I'm not going to say like the era right this instant. But like over the past few years, I think it actually has, you know, and maybe I've because of YouTube, I've been more like catching the best, you know, the best sketches of each episode. They'll just be on the YouTube front page and I'll um, watch those really quick. And I think that, you know, it seems like they're doing a great job. I think the I have this way of how should I say? I think I was about to express this to you about Saturday Night Live while we were in Norman at the loft. And you were like, oh, this, it sounds like you're about to say something you should say for the podcast. So I'm just going to say it now. Um, so with Saturday Night Live, there was recently an era that people considered an all-time great, which was, um, I mean, it was like Will Forte and uh, what's his name from Barry? Yeah, Bill uh, Hader. Bill Hader. You know, uh, Andy I mean, Samberg. Andy Samberg, huge, huge, especially for the digital shorts. I mean, that's like kind of is like now like the new golden era, I think, especially for, you know, like kids who are five, 10 years younger than me who grew up with that as their Saturday Night Live. And I totally understand. But one thing I do feel like about the most recent cast who are there right now, at least last time I checked in on them, is most of the time as Saturday Night Live is like seen as a, you know, it's either a destination or a stepping stone. And I feel like the Bill Haters, Will Fortes, you know, uh, Andy Sandbergs, they, uh, you definitely got that sense that it was like they were very talented people who knew Saturday Night Live was going to be their debut onto the public stage and mm -hmm. that they were going to be able to use it to go on to bigger things. But I do think that the most recent era, and I'm sure that the cast could disagree with me, you know, on a personal level, but you get the sensation that the people who were there, you know, in the past five years and who made up that cast, this was more like they this was where they wanted to be this was like mm. it's almost like they wanted to park i feel like you're seeing a lot more cast members stick around a lot longer because it's like no this is this is it for them and i think that there's something really special about that it you know if it goes on too long it could probably be a little sad but there's there's definitely a like i feel like there's like a, almost a uh cast right now that is so in love with the institution of Saturday Night Live that it, you know, kind of you you feel it in the energy and the sketches. Everybody's just so happy to be there. I uh, I agree with that. I don't I don't know if I like it. I mean, I've always appreciated yeah. the churn of Saturday Night Live because mm -hmm. it, it always did feel like it was the proving ground for new comedians coming on mm -hmm. the stage. And I don't know, like it, we see this in a lot of spots right now in society where it feels like you've got these incumbents that just kind of sit here and take up a seat and are yeah. not letting people grow um, because they've decided to stop growing. Um, and I think there are a couple cast members that linger. Um, you know, I love Kenan Thompson, you know, SNL, uh, all that mm -hmm. growing up, you know, good burger. I will never say anything bad about Kenan Thompson, but um, I, I do wish that his show was more successful or he had another outlet because you know he's been doing the sketch comedy for a long time. He, you know he does it. He does a great job. But you know I would love to see him move on and do something other than SNL because yeah. I mean he's been there for almost a decade now, right? Yeah, I know. How long has he been there? <laughs> since uh, since we worked at Central Market together, at least because I remember being surprised, like learning because at the time a lot of people go through this. They 
you know, watch a lot of Sar- a lot of Saturday Night Live when they're like teenagers because there's nothing else to do on Saturday night. And then you become an adult and you have a car, you can go places, you know, and so you stop watching the show. And then you like hear things about the show, like through NPR or whatever. And I remember hearing that Keenan was on the show and I was like, what? <laughs> and I remember that being around the time I was at Central Market or maybe slightly before. So what, it's, what about Kel? I mean, are you a Kel person? <laughs> you know, I was always more of a Keenan person. Yeah, I Kel. I was more of a Kel person. Okay. Um, I don't know what he's up to, but do I you will remember s- that movie, Mystery Men. Yes, I do. And he was, yeah. he was, he definitely stole the show a little. That's like, that's like, can, he's I think it's a, a comeback at some point, right? <laughs> yeah. And also Myster- Mystery Men is due like a, like retro, you know, like we all miss, uh, we all forgot how good Mystery Men is. One, uh, one thing that I think you could just lead off the conversation with, yes, all the song All Star by Smash Mouth is known because it was used in Shrek, but really it was, it's, it was really, mystery men that put that song on the map the music video is for mystery men i had no idea well there well i I taught you something i mean i pretty much went and saw that movie because i loved that song so much it was probably the first song that i really dug which was it's kind of a a slightly embarrassing thing to say at this you know in this day and age well it was embarrassing (laughs) to say until (laughs) sorry what was that chumbo wumbo with tub thumper wasn't on your radar (laughs) oh i mean i knew of the song but it wasn't like it resonated with me i mean uh, i had such weird taste as a fourth grader or whenever however old i was when that came out Mm -hmm. no that was uh but yeah, Kill and Mystery Men. Like I'm, I'm surprised. Like for how beloved you know our generation holds the Good Burger sketches. I'm surprised. We I don't know where Kell is right now. But I would also say for Keenan Thompson, I think like he, <laughs> yeah, because now we're an SNL podcast. But <laughs> it seems to me like he has proven himself through and through that he could be a great game show host. So I'm oh, assuming yeah. he's just waiting for either one of the institutional people to fall off so he can take their spot or for the next great American game show to come around that could last the rest of his, you know, career. Cause I mean, you could easily see him on family feud. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I get the, I do get the sense. And I mean, if, if I'm wrong about this, I mean, I think it it speaks to how good a actor he is, but I get the sense he actually genuinely enjoys sketch comedy. Um, I wonder if that would be difficult for him to give up. I wonder if he just like you kind of posited at the beginning says like, Hey, you know, this has always been the destination. I just want to do sketch comedy with, with talented people on a big stage. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, Well, I guess we'll see, you know, post his SNL career because I mean, it can't, it can't go on forever. Um, Anyways, but you know, hopefully hopefully we join him in the group of people who have long careers. That's, you know, what we're aiming for here, not just with the podcast, but with the game. So why don't we get back to talking about the game here? Um, So let's see last week, as I said earlier, I believe um, last week we covered our approach to teaching the game. um, And that came in, you know, that was very much on our mind since we were about to teach a whole bunch of people at that Norman event. And then we also taught, uh, we also talked through like coming up against people breaking our game 
And mm-hmm. we the so far it's happened twice, but you know, like as more people enter the game, they're going to be pushing on the walls, pushing, you know, trying t- their best to wrangle the game into like, you know, like how can I win even if it isn't fun? And we just always have to make sure we're coming in and, and you know, being the opposite of the fun police, you know, where we are actually the police who are making sure the fun is still in the game. Yeah, let me uh, sharpen that up real quick because yeah. when you say you know, mm-hmm. how can I win even if it's not fun? You're not suggesting that how can I win this game even though the game's not fun? It's how can I implement a strategy that is optimal for winning even if the strategy is not fun? Correct. correct. Yeah. yeah, that's that's something that I became, like I, I was already sort of aware of it, you know, because mm-hmm. I've even, you know, I think we all take walks down like the road of like, oh, you know, our favorite, one of our favorite games, Magic, one of our favorite formats, Commander, that you can make that format very boring, you know, very not yeah. fun to play and win consistently if you want to. In fact, I tested the game. I tested X Seekers of Fortune out with a uh, gentleman who has a lot of card game experiences. He was even an early beta tester for Hearthstone. And mm-hmm. he said, like, he spent four four grand on a commander deck that won a lot and was not fun at all and basically drove him out of the format. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, with commander there's a certain joy in building something that you think is going to like get a reaction from people mm-hmm. and like, you know, like their jaw is going to drop when you pull off the combo or they see, you know, what you've put together. But when, when it works and then you've, you've beat someone and then you beat them again. And then by the third time you're kind of like, I don't think I ever want to do this again. <laughs> yeah. Like let me go build another deck. Let me go figure out another strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one thing for it to be like your magic trick, like surprise, you know, like at the table, but by the time, like when you do that once and you get everybody, you, that's probably practically when you should retire it. I, that being said, I think your rune deck looks like it's a lot of fun because it's not, it's not really super combo-y. It's more of like, we're going to blink a bunch of stuff and do cool things and, but not necessarily the same stuff every day, every game. Yeah. So, I really do need to update that deck because I haven't touched it pro- for probably like five years in terms of adding cards to it, maybe even mm-hmm. longer. And there are a lot of magic cards have come out in that time. So I need to, I really want to sit down with somebody who knows like the current, you know, like what, you know, like who's really versed in the past five or six years of magic and be like, okay, what cards have just been purely like upgraded? You know, like what should I take, well, you know, what should I take out, you know, and put in. But it is a fun, it, that is actually a really fun deck to play. Um, I do agree because. I would say one thing is it's unassuming. So if nothing else is going on at the table and you, you know, you're not being very aggressive, you can just kind of like sit back and build up your forces and then surprise everybody all at once. And it's so it, it, it definitely um, benefits playing politics. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But let's see, but this week we want, and we'll talk about playing do- politics and, you know, escalating tensions and, you know, surprising everybody at the end, we wanted to talk about the um, storytelling through gameplay, which is something that Danny and I are very passionate about. That's like something that we constantly come back to in terms of like, when we're talking about gameplay, talking about mechanics, we're talking about often like the idea of like, going on a quest, going on a hero's journey through gameplay. Um, And we early on in the design of X Seekers of Fortune, but well before it was called X Seekers of Fortune, we thought how, you know, I forgot exactly how it came across, but we we thought, how do we add drama to the game? And the solution we came up with is this thing called the final quest. Um, Danny, would you like to tell the audience about the final quest? Sure. Yeah. So the final quest 
I think this came from, you know, one of the dynamics I think of our, our working relationship that has been very fruitful is, you know, oftentimes one, one of us will kind of say, Hey, I kind of want to, uh, address this, um, element of the game, you know, like, Hey, I want to, I want there to be another act to the game, I think is kind of where the final quest came from, you know, mm. um, but the point is basically one of us will say, hey, I, I, I think I want to add something to the game. I just don't know exactly what it is. And then the other one will sit on it and come back and pitch some ideas. And, and oftentimes uh, we'll pitch something that fulfills sort of that, you know, the first one of us's uh, idea or desire for an addition to the game. So in this case, I think that you had identified that you felt like the game needed some sort of change up towards the end just to add some tension and drama and, and build. I think build was really important to you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know how to feel about that at first. Um, you know, again, thinking to games like magic, you know, magic has its ups and downs, but it does, it's not like the game dramatically changes every single game to a specific, you know, alternative, uh, phase of magic. Um, so it wasn't something that I, I had, complete knowledge of or experience with but i basically what i ended up thinking was like well what if we differentiated the the last adventure people complete from the rest uh by you know fashioning it somewhat like a boss fight you know make mm-hmm. things more difficult limit options and really ratchet up the pressure so that when people you know got that one it really felt like they they crossed a finish line so in case the audience doesn't know, let's just let them know what the final quest entails. So in the game Executors of Fortune, your goal is to complete five quests or five adventures. Now, when you complete your fourth adventure, though, you have to go through this special. I call it a, I call it a ritual. Um, mm-hmm. And what that involves is first you discard all the leads from your hand. So you can't if you had stockpile leads and hoping that you could just, you know, go from the fourth to the fifth. That's not going to happen. In fact, I think that's probably was the main reason we decided to do this is because it seemed like a savvy player could just, you know, pull, you know, stockpile leads and just like blow through, you know, possibly even three quests in a single turn and just, you know, win the game. So you have to discard all your leads. Then you flip up one more adventure and put it into your adventure zone. And then, and your rival then chooses which adventure you have to complete. Mm-hmm. So if you, tried to curate it to where it's like, oh, I have a four and a three still remaining, and then you turn over a five, your rival's probably going to choose that five to make it as hard as possible for you. So then you're left with one adventure, no leads in hand at that point. You draw your action X card for like your regular reward. You draw three more leads to get you started. And the chances of you drawing into three leads to complete the, whatever adventure's in front of you, it, I'm not saying it hasn't happened, but I don't remember it happening. Um, it, 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 it's happened. It, it happened to me, I think, this weekend. Oh, really? Okay. Well, we can talk about that in our recap section. Mm-hmm. But it does. I mean, we've played at this point between Danny and I, we've played hundreds of games and I, I haven't seen it happen. Um, but so so then you get your three leads. You have your adventure in front of you. And at that point, you don't get any more adventures. You just get to draw your leads per turn. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I would say a savvy player will probably have tried to hold on to some of their action X cards for this portion of the game to utilize them 
to try to finish that final adventure as fast as possible. And it's as though you can, you know, you're out there for one reason and one reason only, and you can see it glimmering in the, in the on the horizon, and you're just trying to race towards it. And especially when both players get into the final quest, often it comes down to, I draw, you know, it's like I draw my lead, I didn't get there. You draw your lead, you didn't get there. And it's just like, you know, it really makes the turns go fast. It really feels like the tension is there. Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned kind of squirreling away as many action X cards as possible going into the final. And I think it's kind of like you're, you're preparing for that big shootout or showdown with, with your rival. And then, um, you know, if, if you're, if your plan to foil your rival with the action X cards you have falls through, then, you know, that's where you end up in the top decking foot race. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll tell you, you don't want to get into the top decking foot race before your opponent's in the final quest uh, because uh, that's a recipe for disaster. They can really, really mess with you if if you've got yourself all the way to shields down because it's very hard to re- refill on resources once you're inside the the final quest. It's You really are meant to win and not dirtle there, you know? Well, we could talk about... Uh of recent time that I got to the final quest and thought I was, uh, you know, setting sail for victory only to be, th- you know, literally thwarted and, you know, have the victory, you know, taken away from me by you, uh, later, but it was, it, it is, it, well, I'll say it does this. A, it ensures that people can't just, oops, I win, which is something mm-hmm. I really dislike in, in games. In fact, there's a game that I, I do kind of compare X Seekers of Fortune to just to quickly communicate to uh, potential, you know, players, like what kind of experience they're going to have. And that game is um, uh, Settlers of Catan, which I think is a good game. But uh, one problem I've always had with it is it sometimes feels like there's like a lack of drama and tension going into like the final parts of the game. It's just like somebody goes from not having one to having one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at least that's in my experiences with it. It might have, be different for others. Maybe if you get more savvy, you know what to look out for. Like, oh, he has six victory points. He's in the danger zone. But I wanted there to be something that's like you draw a line in the sand. and It's like I am now crossing into winning, you know, like the red zone in football. And I just wanted there to be that that drama that comes from announcing that you're entering the final stages of the game. Like, um, you know, in video games, they do it all the time. You'll have, like, you know, a very specific set piece before going into the final boss battle. Uh, one of the most iconic moments in a video game um, is in Metal Gear Solid 3, Snake Eater. You know, after you've kind of gone through your dark... If I remember the pacing of the game correctly, after you've gone through your darkest hour, you know, what's the hero's low point, you know, you've been mm-hmm. captured, you were tortured, you lit, your character literally has his eye shot out of his head, and he's now a one-eyed man with a with a uh, eye patch on, and you're about to head out, like you've, you've recouped yourself, you've got your equipment back, and you're about to head out to the final, you know, the final moments of this adventure where you're going to face the, the boss, complete your mission, and escape, Mm-hmm. They have this, they can just basically s- slow the game down where they have snakes, solid snake, climb a ladder. And you get on, like, especially the first time you get on in this in this game, the first time you get on that ladder, you're just like, okay, I'm climbing up a ladder. And then, like, a minute 
you know, after like 45 seconds, you're like, what the hell? This ladder is taking forever. And then like 20 seconds later, they just bring in the theme song of the game just in, and it's like the somber version, not the, you know, bombastic. It's like the version with like the acoustics, you know, mm. just sing and they sing it. And I'd have to, I would have to pull it up on YouTube. Now, my recollection is you have to, you're just sitting there pressing the up button, climbing this ladder for at least three minutes straight. And really, yes. And it, but it really sets the, like, it lets you do what movies do in a movie. You would have a moment where you'd have like maybe a montage. You'd sit with the characters as they like collect themselves. You know, you just mm-hmm. see them suit up and gear up to go out and fight the villain. You know, this is the point of that story where you're, you're, you're taking it back to the, the antagonist. And I just knew like, I, I don't, I don't want to say I'm <laughs> a lot of this, I often say that we sort of, you know, rewrite the story after we've, you know, kind of, you know, come made decisions and then you rewrite the story in retrospect. But it, mm-hmm. it, it did feel like when we were making this decision, it was like we we don't want to just have people win out of nowhere. We want it to be fully announced. You know, it's like I, I have my fourth quest done. I'm not going to be able to complete my fifth adventure this turn. Uh, most likely, except for <laughs> most likely, you're not going to be able to. So let's, you know, so yeah, so let's, you know, let's mark it. Let's put a punctuation point on it. So that way everybody is aware that we are now in uh, at the end. So it feels like a proper story. Every proper story announces its ending. Yeah, I, I think say. that's absolutely correct. Change matters. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't want to just be stuck in the same spot, you know, um, if you do the same thing over and over again, you know, it gets stale really quickly. So mm-hmm. by just adding this this moment that the game dramatically changes and also is something that, like you said, is forecasted. Everyone knows you have to go through this ritual, like you said, before they can enter into the end game. And it's not impossible to win from completing your fourth adventure and then immediately completing your fifth adventure. But generally speaking, it requires you having you know, stockpiled some action X cards and pulling off some sort of combo. You know, one of the things I've always said is I wanted this game to have moments where you feel like you're, you're storming off. I don't want it to Mm -hmm. be something you can do on command, but I do want it to be one of those things where it's like, Oh, the cards came together in my hand. I think I can do something cool here. Let me do it. Um, but ultimately the, the final quest in, in the game really serves to kind of give people this dramatic tension where they they're they're like okay i'm so close to winning like you can measure how close you are to winning you can measure how close your opponent is to winning um and the stakes feel much much higher because once you're in the final quest again going back to this it's not just like you can win here if you don't win here at this moment if you if you take your shot and you miss you very well can lose here and even though your opponent's behind you they're going to be better prepared and they're going to beat you. So it's not just, Hey, I got here first, so I'm going to win. It's, Hey, I got here first. I better not mess up. Yeah. I've definitely felt that because like things that you don't get actually, you lose so many resources that you're kind of taking for granted. You're not going to get most likely you're not going to get another action X card when you're in the final quest. You're not going to get more adventures that cuts off like two or three of the uh, heroic feats. Mm-hmm. If you get rid of your adventure, because some of the some of the heroic feats cost an adventure to play, you can you can cash your adventure in, but that's the last adventure you get. So unless you have like some grand plan, you're just all you're doing is making it to where you can't win the game, or at least not 
you're going to have to take a long road to win the game if you haven't prepared for it. And it creates drama. And there's like uh, some of the riskiest decisions I've made in the game have been because of the final quest and the uh, limitations it puts on you. So yeah, normally when I, when I lose a match of X seekers of fortune and I look back at my gameplay, very rarely am I like, Oh, I didn't do enough. Usually it's, Hey, I overextended myself at this critical moment. I should have held on to something and one of the things I really love about the game is the more you play it, the more you see resources that you weren't even aware of. Like there's certain things in lines of play as any good game should, you know, reveal to you over time that you're not going to see when you first start playing. And it's especially exciting as a game designer uh, and creator of a game to be surprised by your game and to realize, oh, your game is deep enough that you don't actually understand how to play it optimally. And the more you play it, the more you learn about your own game. And that's one of the very cool things about being someone who loves games and then has the opportunity to make games is you really get to see sort of the underlying magic in games. You know, there's there's something animating within the game. You know, we, we've, we've often talked about it as, you know, we didn't create X Seekers of Fortune, we found it you know, and, um, finding it, you know, helping reveal it to the world. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a very, um, like I said, it's a magical experience. Oh yeah, for sure. And yeah, we, and well, speaking of revealing it to the world, how about we get into the, uh, 405 brewing event right after this? Welcome back to the official Mega Moth Studio podcast. Uh, I'm here with Danny Ayub, my co-host. I'm Joel Watts, your primary host. And uh, so we were just going to go ahead and jump into our recap of this past weekend. We were in Norman, Oklahoma, specifically to host an event at 405 Brewing, uh, an event where we played a lot of X Seekers of Fortune and introduced it to a whole bunch of new people. Danny, what were your, um, how about you set the stage for us a little bit? Okay, so we were in Norman, Oklahoma, which is a suburb of Oklahoma City. If you're familiar with uh, OU, uh, Oklahoma University, I guess it stands for, uh -huh. the Sooners, yeah. uh, Norman is, is uh, their backyard. Uh, so it's very much a college town. Um, probably the highest concentration of dispensaries I've ever seen anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, not I, an exaggeration <laughs> i would say that it's definitely a boom town for uh, a medical marijuana right now yeah absolutely um but it's a, it's 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 in the american plains um so it's you know pretty flat um but it's a really cool town it has a nice vibe it's um someplace i definitely hope to spend a lot of time in the future anyway our good friends will and annie uh, Annie are, is our head of community. She manages social media and outreach. And then William is the producer of the podcast and our head of media. He and she live in Norman. Um, and so they also work at a brewery in Norman that makes fantastic beer called 405 Brewing, 405 Brewing. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I said 405 so weird. 405 brewing it's late this it is, is the late. latest this is the latest record we've ever done and i think we both had full days up leading up into this but not the latest we'll ever do that's true so 405, <laughs> 405 brewing it was pretty awesome so anyway they agreed to host an event for us um because they have a actually pretty pretty robust game playing community 
mostly tabletop uh, game players. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they've got a, quite a few people over there who enjoy their games, and um, so they agreed to host us, and we set up an Eventbrite and put out some some uh, social media posts and uh, you know posters in the community, inviting people to come out, and we ended up having. 33 people RSVP, um, and uh, which was great turnout for us um, at oh, this yeah. stage of the game. Um, and honestly, the venue probably couldn't have supported much more than that. And the um, uh, honestly, our, our ability to proctor games and really give people the attention they need as they're learning the game probably couldn't have supported much more than the turnout we got. So yeah. super successful. I would say we got the experience points needed to level up to handle more, but yeah, we pushed the limit of our bandwidth uh, on that day. Um, just like it was very much reminiscent of the uh, Comic Palooza event, except for with Comic Palooza, we could rely on people finding something else to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like there at 405, we were the main event. We were pretty much the, you know, they were there for beer or they were there for X Seekers of Fortune. Um, Often but both. It, yeah, often both. Because we did, I, if you don't recall, we did offer to buy people their first beer if they came out to demo the game. And we we made good on that time and time again. Now, it was wonderful. Uh, a, I want to say the vibe out there is great. It is now officially, uh, to me, it's the official Diggers Dugout for X Seekers <laughs> of Fortune. Until uh, further notice, that's going to be our Diggers Dugout. And uh, so it had a great vibe. We had uh, good music when we could play it. We had to turn off the music f- frequently, though, because we were also getting video footage for Kickstarter, for YouTube. So whenever that, whenever the cameras were on, we had to turn off the music so we didn't get copyright strikes because of, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, YMCA playing in the background. <laughs> which yeah, is we a, dodged that bullet which is a banger if you haven't heard that song in a while i was like <laughs> yeah, you were playing it one morning i woke up i'm like is ymca play yeah i was heard someone jam that ever <laughs> it's only ever been at like parties that were like elementary school dances that i can well, remember hearing it. <laughs> and a certain president's rallies <laughs> uh he loves he loves himself the village people but yeah when you hear sometimes when you hear a song in a context like you know it's like sort of like seeing a painting for the first time again it's like you know you're just like in an interesting situation a song comes out that you didn't expect to hear and you're just like oh yeah this song is really good so because my brother describes it as wallpaper some songs become wallpaper where you uh-huh. don't even pay attention to them. They're just always, they're just ubiquitous. They're around. You haven't actually sat down and listened to the song. It's sort of just you, the idea of the song just hits your head. And it was like, it was, I guess, D was it, I was enough out of my comfort zone to where when I heard the song come on, I was actually like listening to it, like as though I hadn't heard it before. So it kind of like made me reappreciate it, but we're not a village people recap <laughs> podcast <Podcasts>. yet. <laughs> we can listen. We can uh, see never. if we, <laughs> no song by song we're going to go through the entire village people discography um who will be your guest host for that one uh, i don't know I'll, I'll i'll come up with somebody uh yeah maybe interested in joining me on that journey um maybe a driving crooner podcast Ooh, yeah but it was great though we had like five setups you know five decks and mats ready to go um, and they were often real full the entire time. Um, I don't want to go through every single detail, but I think one of the, my biggest uh, memories that I'm going to carry with me from this is the day before we went to a Thai restaurant where, you know, wearing our shirts. So everybody mm-hmm. was like, you know, kind of like 
you know, were willing to hear what we had to say, I think, because they were just interested in like, why are these four folks all wearing the same shirt at this, you know, at this restaurant? And our uh, waitress, her name was Madeline. And she mm-hmm. was she was just, you know, she was wonderful, great ball of energy, really wonderful vibes. And I got her talking about her experiences with playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I was just like, hey, if you like games, come out to 405 tomorrow. Not only did they come out, or she come out, she came out with like three of her friends and they came out early, which was actually a little dis, uh, to our disadvantage because like everybody who signed up in RSVP basically RSVP for like uh, the 12 o'clock hour it was the busiest hour. So she came during the busiest time with her, her uh, four or her three or four friends. And, but just the fact that she came by, I uh, shout out to Madeline. Oh, uh, absolutely. Do you remember? The vibes are real. Yeah. The vibes are real. And, uh, did, do you remember her family, uh, her, the restaurant she works for? Yeah. It's called Tai Tai and it was really great. Their lunch mm-hmm. special is ridiculous honestly it's like the kind of thing that when you read it on the menu you're like you're gonna have to explain this to me because there's no way this is real you (laughs) have like four (laughs) options Mm -hmm. and you get all of them like there's four different choices you have to make and you have like three options at each level and they're not like oh would you like uh i don't know miso soup or you know film the other like not that that's thai but it's like four different entrees. That's <laughs> like, do you want masamun curry or do you want uh, green curry? Do you want uh, pad thai or do you want, you know, uh, fried rice? It was amazing. The food was excellent. And, uh, but you have to fight for a table. They are mob because yeah. that lunch special is the business. Mm-hmm. And that's her, that's not just the what restaurant she works for as a waitress. That's her family's restaurant. So, you know, definitely give them, you know, uh, those Tai Tai. It's Tai Tai. Yeah. yeah. So big shout out to Tai Tai. If you're in Oklahoma, the a city, anywhere in the city, just go and find Tai Tai and uh, head out to it. I'm sure Madeline will, you know, be a great waitress for you too. She was wonderful. Um, and two of the gentlemen that she brought, I think they, you know, she brought three, three guys with her. And her, like, one gentleman bought, like, what, at least six tw- six packs from the brewery? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, that... Jordan, I think it was his, Jordan, her her boyfriend. Yeah, which was amazing. And then two of the gentlemen who they, they left without stick, stuck around, would you say three hours? They, stuck, they stayed and played X Seekers of Fortune over and over again for at least three hours. I mean, I, I, I don't know because so much was going on, but mm-hmm. I mean, they were definitely there 90 minutes or longer. I mean, I don't, it was, it was enough time where it was remarkable. I would yeah. say like, we were like, Oh, sweet. And they were deep in the tank. They were like straight up playing. I would really like to spend some time picking their brain, which I have their emails. Maybe I'll reach out to them and see if they'd be willing to debrief with us. And maybe we can send, send some, uh, Send a demo deck to them. I would. Um, I think of all the folks that we've played with so far, they're the ones who I'd most be, you know, getting those two guys to play, you know, in their off time and, you know, let us know what they think. I would really love to hear what they have to say. So, yeah, yeah debriefing would be great. I mean, I would invite them on the show to get uh, to record their feedback. Um, but, yeah, no, that was that was the, that was like the highlight of my day. And then, I mean, it also was a great time for. You know, Will and Annie have a huge family. They have a lot of kids together. Um, and all the kids, I think almost all of their kids came out at some point and got to play the game too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the cool things. And one of the questions that we had, 
um, as we were deciding how to position the game with with uh, with the market. I mean, with with people and players is you know you never know exactly who the game will appeal to. You have your ideas, and I think for us, we assume that you know our audience would be primarily millennial and Gen X, um, and we felt like maybe Gen Z wouldn't um, be as interested because we weren't ready to launch mobile. Um, we thought once we had the game mobile, we would get some more traction, but, um, yeah, the, the Gen Z cohort that has played the game has responded extremely well. Um, and, uh, yeah, shout out to all those guys. Um, and, uh, you know, won't, won't use their names since, uh, they're under, under 18, but we really appreciate all of you guys. And, um, you know, thanks for also joining the Discord and 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 participating in the Discord and, and helping us build that community, um, because you know that's that's a frontier for us right now, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about that in in a future episode. But um, overall, I would say that the four or five brewing event was um, a really magical day and and one that I think will will you know stay close to my heart um, as we go on this journey uh, for for many years to come. Um, I don't know. It's very special just in these early days to share the game with new people and, and see them react to it. And, and just getting that kind of, you know, pat on the back, you know, Hey, you know, this is real. You, you did it. You made something that is bringing some amount of happiness and joy to other people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will completely agree. I was, I don't want to say shocked, you know, it's not, it's not full blown shock, but I was definitely, I've, I was, it was a warm feeling, the heart, and especially, and, uh, you know, like we always like to go back to if you are yourself a, you know, up and coming game designer, I can't emphasize this enough. If you have to, you know, if you have to save up some money, you know, and call in some favors, you do want to, you know, once you know you have your game up and running and you're ready to show it off to people, please do something like this. Get, you know, a, a, a space and get some time and invite as many people as you can to come out and play because it's rejuvenating in these processes. You know, you're going to find yourself bogged down with uh, the business side of things often or marketing, you know, especially after the game is sort of complete and you don't really have to design it anymore, which is the funnest part of this process. You're going to run into a lot of things that you probably would have, you didn't think you would have to do. And it's always good during that time to you know have some time to just be like, this is about the game. Let's teach the game to as many people as we can. Let's show it off. Let's strut it out. If you have a good game, it's going to be very rewarding to get that kind of feedback from people. And it is part of the process. This is marketing that we did, essentially. And market research and getting the name out there. I feel like every time we do an event like this, it's sort of like saying it's like we have a presence now. It's like... People in Norman, Oklahoma will be talking about X Seekers of Fortune, their experience with it, and they'll be sharing that with their fellow game players around the community. Yeah, absolutely. While we're on the topic of, of Norman, Oklahoma, just a quick shout out to Wizards Asylum, um, who hosted us uh, in the afternoon for you know just some casual play and, and TikToking fun at their store. Those guys mm-hmm. are, are very, um, very welcoming, and uh, I really appreciated them. Um, also, shout out to to Common Space uh, Game Cafe. We really mm-hmm. appreciated our, our time with with James and Kevin over there, and uh, seeing their their library of games five dollars to get access to that game library. It's well worth it. And uh, Joel, I know you you'll probably plug their uh, 
Twilight yeah. Imperium community that they've got there on Saturdays. Yeah, I would. I, I will say this. I might be planning a trip to Norman, Oklahoma sooner than Danny because to be out there with the Sooners, because it turns out that it's a big hub for Twilight Imperium, which is a game that since we've gotten into this game design uh, space, which, you know, I was I was. I knew of games, I knew some of the popular ones, but you know, I definitely have become more aware of some of the more niche or, uh, you know, like, you know, the, there's this, the well, Twilight Imperium feels like the Mount Everest of games. It's like, it takes eight hours to play or longer. So I've, it's, and it's like all about space politics and space wars. So I'm like, oh, this sounds excellent, but I haven't heard of any place here in Austin where people play it on a regular basis. So I'm just like, when and where can I play it? And it turns out, I guess, Norman, Oklahoma has a lot of time on their hands to play eight hour long games. Uh, some, I heard I heard them say sometimes they do rule modifications that push it to 15 hours mm -hmm. to sit and play. And I was like, all right, I can make a day out of that. And I would say, uh, audience, if uh, if we get popular enough and uh, if the Kickstarter does well enough, I might uh, really push us to have a stretch goal that is Danny and Joel and the crew play Twilight Imperium on stream. So if you know if you want to see something like that happen, us learn how to play the game and sit down for like twelve hours straight and play the game on some sort of stream marathon, you know, subscribe-a-thon type of thing, you know, stay tuned. We're we're you know, let us know in the comments below. We're going to I'm going to really push that to be one of our stretch goals. Yeah, I, I think if we do that, we're going to have to get those like mobile IV bag people to come in. <laughs> Set us up with some IV bag. I definitely want to discuss like uh, uh, the diet for the day. It's like we can't just get we can't just treat it like a pizza day. You know, we gotta probably get like you know veggies. Like actually have somebody come over and cook us some fresh like you know good food. Otherwise, we're going to be you know we're going to just regret our lives. Yeah, <laughs> as we play Twilight Imperium and eat food that has no nutritional value. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> Um, but well, you know, that'll be a ship, to, you know, there, uh, that's actually a series I would love to do with Danny. I think we've even talked about it a little bit, but you know, we haven't said anything official, but I know the top two games for me to try out in that sort of way are Danny and I doing war of the rings together and our entire group doing, uh, twilight Imperium together. Um, so, uh, hopefully, hopefully we, uh, I think we will be able to build an audience who would be interested in that sort of thing. I'm and down. I'm, I'd like to do it by the end of, before the end of the year. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Let's do yeah, it. Let's do, let's do it. Okay. Well, we are we are recording late. We are, uh, and I think we've talked about the topics pretty well today. I'm sure we'll, we'll I'm sure we'll have memories of the Norman event for years to come. So don't be surprised if it comes up again and again in the podcast. And um, you know, there's more definitely to get you know dig into on how to create drama in your games. And as we create our next game, this is always going to be something that I'm looking for whenever we sit down to create a game. Is how do we make the end game matter? You know, mm -hmm. so because I if there's one thing I dislike, it's just somebody winning out of nowhere. I like uh, I like a victory to be forecasted. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want a movie that you're watching just to kind of end abruptly. Like I mean, how if you don't feel like you're building towards any sort of climax then i mean that doesn't sound like a very satisfying experience but on the topic of, of storytelling and drama and games i think there's definitely a lot more um for us to to talk about i think maybe we do an episode in the future that's that's purely about mechanics and dig into top down and down uh bottom up design um 
because that's something that we've talked a lot about and something that we take a lot of pride in. And um, I think talking about the game, the mechanics and, and how all that kind of plays into our, our, our uh, filmmaking background um, and, and our pr- approach to g- game design from a filmmaking perspective is uh, something I'd like to share with the audience some more. I think that could easily be our topic for next time if we wanted to make it so. So yeah, we'll get more into that. And I do have a lot to say about top down versus bottom up design because my opinion on that subject and what I thought was the right way of going changed immensely just through the course of making this game. So yeah, well, I would love to get into that topic here uh, in the next few episodes. Um, but right now we are thinking that our next episode is actually going to be about community building, sort of like more uh, talking more about mm-hmm. like what we did. Uh, the steps we took at 405 were just the first steps. And when you're building a community, you have to capture people and sort of like usher them in to like, you know, the places where they can go to find, you know, to find like-minded people who also want to play your game. So that's what we're focusing in on right now. We're going to be doing a lot of work in that in the next week, and we'll probably have a lot more to say about it next time. So um, as of right now, next time you can expect us to talk about, you know, community building, you know, all the tools that go into it and all the resources you might need to be looking into to make it happen and and what our approach has been so far. Sounds like a good uh, good topic for us. Okay, well, we're about to roll out of here, but uh, as always, Danny, I believe you have gotten something random prepared for me. It might be extra random because I think you were still coming up with it right before we roll, you know, rolled episode. So it <laughs> makes me a little nervous. I'm always a little nervous going into this segment. So, uh, what do you got for me this week? Um, so this week I have uh, I have uh, a, a a request of you. To uh, do, you know, we like to do the um, getting to know, getting to know each other uh, segments quite a bit. And so um, I I would like to uh, ask you uh, to uh, do a little ranking for us uh, about your personal life. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Let's, let's, let's do it. Okay. So what would you say are your top three? mistakes that you've made in your life um okay i think i think like a lot of millennials who were on reddit uh pre around 2012 i want to say it was i might be wrong on the exact date my biggest i and uh, you know i will say this i i am somebody who believes that you know uh fortune you know fortunes fall frequently so anything that i consider a mistake could also have been a great you know which might have also been to my advantage not to go through or not to have to deal with but i will say number one that's easiest cleanest to say is as a lot of people did i saw the post on reddit that announced bitcoin to the world you know like when the people first came out of the woodworks and it's like hey the dark web's been operating with this for years and we think that it's going to go somewhere and it's like $25 a coin right now. <laughs> and seeing that and being like, that's interesting. We'll see how that develops. And of course, you know, it's like it becomes 250 a coin. And you're just like, darn, I missed that. Well, I guess I know for next time. And then you see, you know, you check out and then like you check back in and it's $5,000 a coin. And you're just like, well, I mean, I could, you know, you think at that point you'd say the sky's the limit. But no, you still think, oh, wow. Well, you can't go up much higher than that. So missing the Bitcoin train yeah. in the early uh, 2010s was uh, is not is mistake number one. Okay, yeah, number I one. think I can I can I can see that. 
Uh, let's see. I mean, it's, it is like one of those things we are talking, you know, there's, I'm, I'm debating how personal to get here. I think the Bitcoin one was the easy one because it's a mistake that a lot of people, I mean, I guess we could say the same thing about like, I was also early on, well, relatively early to podcast. I became a fan of podcasting relatively early in the like, you know, boom of podcast. Mm-hmm. And so I guess now that we've started this podcast and granted, I don't know, like, I think you've often said, it's like you wanted to make a podcast for a long time, but you didn't have anything you felt particularly like the expert of your field in. And that's that's true, but there was a lot of low-hanging fruit at the early stages of podcasting. And uh, a big one that I, I actually recorded a pilot episode of uh, that I don't know if um, you heard about this or if I talked too much about it, but I, I did it with Toby probably in 2016 or so, like shortly around the time we were debuting um, Negotiations. Mm, mm-hmm. No, so it must have been actually like 2013 or something. Uh, but we recorded a podcast. My idea was, it, it, this was, I would like to say, I don't know how many people were doing this at the time. This was fairly early, but I wanted to do a Lost recap show. And I was going to call it Lost in the Act, mm. where uh, the idea would have been to take the one episode and divide it in, uh, the one, uh, one episode of Lost and divide it into the five acts and release an episode a, a day, Monday through Friday, covering each act of the episode. Oh, wow. I know. I, I, I don't know if that would have been like a ridiculous format. I mean, I'm sure we would have reacted to, you know, criticism about it. But I did also think it would really let you people like let you drill into like all the Easter eggs of each individual that might have come up on each individual act of loss. Because like, you know, one scene could feature a book that could be worth talking about for 20 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, in that show. And it's it still is one of my favorite uh, TV shows. And I think it, it's like a TV show that I keep meaning to go back to and watch from the beginning to see how I feel about all the little details along the way that, you know, how they could play into the ending of the show. Um, and so, you know, that was that uh, not following through on that because there was a lot that I didn't follow through on in my 20s. And yeah, the uh, 20s are, are often about, you know, figuring out what you like. And, um, you know, if you're in your twenties right now and and you're getting discouraged, um, particularly if you're in your later twenties and you're, you're trying stuff and and you are, you are out there, you know, shooting your shots, but it's not coming together, you know, just know if you keep at it, you know, sooner or later, um, you know, things will start to come together more. I mean, I think both of us felt like we had to kind of walk away from, certain things that we were actively pursuing to fill in some more life lessons and round ourselves out a little bit more. And then when we turned our attention back to it, all of a sudden things just seemed to click a lot more. Um, at least that was my personal experience. Um, I took sort of a, in for the better part, you know, probably like an eight year hiatus from trying to produce creative projects at, you know, a, a, you know, a relatively large scale. And, uh, when I came back to it, it, you know, was certainly something that, uh, I felt like I was more capable of doing because of, uh, everything I had learned in, in, in my career, uh, in the intervening years. So, yeah, I think it's not everybody's equipped coming out of their, like, you know, um, you know, sometimes their family life, sometimes coming out of school, whatever it is that you're coming out of, sometimes you're just not equipped to deal with like all the little you know, things about your own personality that can get in your way. And, um, you know, uh, 
we we thought to turn this into a therapy session, but there was definitely things I had to you know work through, and I'm still working on. But you know, uh, I did spend a uh, uh, better part of I think four years with a therapist. Uh, my my former therapist Steve Larson, mm -hmm. who uh, rest in peace. I, the reason I'm no longer with him is actually because he passed away. Um, but that made up that made a huge difference in where I'm at now. Now the th final request. Uh, <laughs> are, are you? Are you? I was wondering if you were laughing or crying. <laughs> no, I, I just. <laughs> it just it was just so out of nowhere. Like I mean, I know what's going on with Steve in all respect. You know, I think he was. <laughs> just from an audience perspective, <laughs> I just don't feel like most people would be like ready for the. I had a ther Not only do I have a therapist, but he's dead. Yeah, I had a therapist. He's dead. Well, I'll say this: I had a therapist who died because I had a therapist who was definitely past the retirement age. And you know what? You start getting people at a discount at that age. Right. It wasn't like it was tragic. It was. It was. It was forecasted. Right. Like he was. He was. He was an up old, there. Uh, but through my time with him, he went from yeah, he went from being like living independently. He had had a, he was going through a cancer scare, but he got through that, and then you know he had a fall, and then he was in a retirement home. And the last few times I saw him, he was in a you know was in that retirement home, and then uh, you know like long story short, it's like I went. He was like constantly. He was uh he spent like a two weeks like rescheduling me or postponing our. Our, th our session and then I stopped hearing from him and I reached out to him a few times I didn't hear from him and so then I went to the retirement home like you know a few weeks after that and they were like oh yeah Steve passed and I did get to go to I did get to go to his funeral fortunately I'm very no grateful. I'm glad that you did I know yeah. that it, I remember when it happened you were really um concerned about it I mean I think I think you mentioned that you've kind of felt like there was a lack of closure there um because you you know, I remember before Steve passed, we talked about it and, you know, I think you felt like, you know, maybe it was time to, to find a different therapist. And I think you had maybe some questions about whether or not, you know, he was still capable of kind of progressing you or, you know, if he was, you know, maybe having, you know, some difficulty keeping track of the plot at that point, but... Yeah, and, and yeah, even in the early days, he he would uh, he, he he it was con it was there was quite a few times where it's like oh, you know I'm like telling him my family traumas and my family <laughs> history, and I'm just like, do I need to be going over this again? Shouldn't you write this down somewhere so you can refer to it? So, yeah, I um, mean, it, he sounds like he was a really awesome guy, but just you know, stepping outside of you know the individual person, I mean, just the whole scenario is. Mm -hmm. pretty I, I think <laughs> next yeah my next therapist i'm going to have like a maybe 15 to 20 year you know gap or in, not not in, in therapy <laughs> but like they can be 15 to 20 years older than me but after that point i'm probably gonna be like okay i i want somebody who's a little closer to my generation at this point do you feel like you could go see a therapist that was younger than you i'm maybe that's actually a really good question yeah i know it's it's weird right like you, you kind of are looking for like a paternal figure kind of thing with therapy is, I think, 
It's like the kind of the secret to therapy is you're looking to replace your parents with more <laughs> educated parents. Depending on your trauma, I guess. <laughs> yeah, depending on your trauma. Well, trust me, mine is definitely in that terrain. Um, I think like in a few years I could. Like if I was 40, I think I'd accept a therapist who was like in their early 30s. Can you tell the Steve Smoothie story? <laughs> <laughs> this might have been what killed him, man. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, no, 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 no. It's It's funny, though. Well, I mean, it's like Steve and like at the retirement home, Steve insisted was like insisting on making me a smoothie and I was not hungry at all. And so I, I reluctantly, you know, took it when he finally, he made it. I was like, I told him, no, I don't want a smoothie. And he made one anyways and handed it to me and, and I drank it. You know, it's like, you just, it's obligatory after that point. Right. It's like, okay, Steve, I'll, I'll have your smoothie. I didn't think much of it, but then the next day he was like, you know, sent me a text message and it's like, hey, Joel, if uh, that smoothie was not, uh, if you're feeling a little bad today, that smoothie had expired milk. <laughs> the milk was expired. <laughs> Which was I actually. That that's the text you get from your therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I would sometimes tell other people stories about Steve, like things Steve would save during therapy. And they're like, should your therapist be saying that to you? Like what? <laughs> Like you can't he just would say that. Okay, like I think it was like he would share a lot more of his personal stories. Like let's face it, at a certain point it was like less about therapy and more about friendship. But he um he would some like he would tell me stories about his life and you know, and I don't I guess that's uncommon for therapists to do. And one of his big stories was like he actually has a memory of, like one of his first memories is being a little boy and he I mean he was old. Um, he was a little boy. <laughs> During World War II, and at some point, he was like at an Air Force base. His dad was in the military, and he was at an Air Force base when soldiers were like were, arrived back home from deployment. I don't know, like you know, he, he doesn't know all the details. I don't know all the details. I'm not sure if they were coming back from, you know, like the front lines of Europe after winning the war. I don't know if this was like them getting relief or, or you know, whatever, getting R and R, but. He was like, a, you know, a little boy and like these soldiers were passing him and they were like, even the ones, you know, they, 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 the thing he mentioned was like that they stunk and they looked like just de- depleted. And then like they noticed him and, you know, from what he says, uh, they saw this little boy on the side and they all started going over to him because it's like, you know, I guess like it's hope right there. Mm-hmm. And like they picked him up and like, you know, hoisted him. Uh, because they were all excited to see it just a child, you know, uh, after all the, what they had seen. And I thought that was a beautiful story. But then I told people I worked with that my therapist told me the story. They were like, why did your therapist tell you that? And I'm like, I don't, isn't that what therapists do? Don't they t- like don't they share things with you? But I don't I don't think it's a uh, conventional. He was also a therapist from the um, I guess like more of the uh, religion, religious side of therapy, if you will. Like, you know, somebody mm. who was probably, a, I think he was a minister at one point. So mm. I'm sure his approach was probably a lot different than a more secular therapist. And like I said, I got the guy that I got a guy at a deep discount for therapy. So <laughs> I'll take everything, you know, <laughs> value. Yeah. If you had, if you had paid full price, you probably would have got a smoothie that didn't have expired milk in it. <laughs> And I paid, I paid him for that session. Like that, I think that that was like, and that was one of the last times I uh, saw him. Like maybe the second to last time. But the thing that uh, I remember is like, I basically, I gave him money to sit with him and try, and I ended up teaching him how to use his phone better. And then he gave me an expired smoothie. <laughs> are you are you a hundred percent sure that that Steve didn't think you were his therapist? 
Not at that point. That might have been. That might at that point it might have the roles might have switched. I was hoping he thought. I, I mean, I do th- hope he thought he, I was his friend, and that I think he re- hopefully realized that I was coming over not just to, you know, talk in a therapy session, but just to you know, um, catch up and you know, spend time with a friend. So, yeah, I really admire how you handled that situation. I thought that you, um, I think you recognized at some point that this was someone who probably wanted your company as much as. Um, you know, the professional relationship. And mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of people would have cut and run a lot earlier because it is a ridiculous situation. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's sweet that you, you stuck actually, with it. Actually, I would love to implore our uh, um, our producer and editor, William Weimer, <laughs> if you want to just record yourself weighing in on this and just insert it right here. I will, <laughs> I, I will go out of my way to listen to this episode when it comes out so I can hear your thoughts on it. As for yeah. the third regret in life, that's a big one. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, not how this is a weird one to say. I think, and it's because, and it's, it is a little bit because I'm avoiding some more like you know traumatic <laughs> or personal regrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure, like you know, if we were off mic, I, I would have like three different answers for you. But I think how long it took me to embrace the idea of you know taking on healthy amounts of debt, mm. in cre- you know, and through credit, it's like um, I went a long time without having a, a car in Austin, Texas, and I don't know how people perceive Austin, Texas, who might be watching this, who have never been, but Austin, Texas is not a great uh, public transportation city. Even if you think you think it might be from the outside looking in, it's it has a bus system, but it's not a very efficient bus system. It ends very early. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a car. I was, you know, there was many things I missed out on throughout my 20s because I was carless i mean like i think there's probably plenty of times that you invited me out to do something and i was like i can't either you have to pick me up or i have to get a bus and then you have to bring me home because if i stay out i'm not you know the buses are going to stop running and i'm going to need to ride home and it's just i think it created a situation where i was uh, much more of a homebody than i probably should have been during those like very active years and it actually took (laughs) i don't want to speak too ill ill of her but let's just say a girlfriend who i don't have fond memories of (laughs) But she pushed me to get a car and, you know, it was like, well, like one of those things where she was like, she was like, oh, we'll just go out and look. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, you should get this. And like, you know, and she she nudged me in the right ways to, you know, pull the trigger on it. And it wasn't I mean, you know, it taught me that I could do it. And I've now paid that car off and I'm looking forward to buying my next car. But, you know, little things like that, like it's like you can as long as you do it responsibly, you can it's a good thing to you know, utilize credit and utilize loans. So I think I, uh, my parents made me very gun shy and worried about that sort of thing early or, you know, throughout my early years of life for good reason. They were very bad with credit and they should, but I was able to like slowly take it on. And I I think I could have taken on more earlier and probably had, you know, access to a, a, a reasonable car and getting around town, which would have been probably a little bit better for my early career development if I could have been uh, mobile. Yeah, well, I mean, it's good that you have a healthy respect for it. I mean, I think a lot of times in life um, when we, whether we miss the shot ourselves or somebody else misses it and we see them miss it, mm-hmm. uh, our tendency is to overcorrect. So, you mm-hmm. know, if, if you shoot short of the hoop, you'll you'll shoot over the backboard.
backboard. If you shot over the backboard, you're probably, you know, oftentimes our, our first attempt to kind of correct behavior goes too far the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think it's good that you have the respect that you do as you are now kind of nudging more into that sort of middle area where you understand the advantages while also being super cognizant of the risks. Yeah. Thank you. And that, that, yeah, that is true. I think, you know, your parent, if your parents make a mistake and it's like really scars them or really hurts them, they're going to overcorrect that for you or like demonize it for you. So, you know, it's, it's something to be careful about, but it's also like, I mean, well, I don't want to get, I don't want to get too, uh, fatalistic about it but you know are, are too irresponsible but you can't take the money with you so you know definitely utilize those resources while you can yeah yeah anyways um well that was three danny did you have anything else you wanted to add on to that or do, do you have uh things that you think i should regret that you remember from our time in austin together <laughs> well I, mean, I don't know if you regret this or not but <laughs> One of my all-time favorite memories of you is when it was the first year we met, so it would have been 2004, and I remember walking up to you, and you were in a parking lot, and you were smoking a cigarette, and I was like, hey, bro, I didn't know you smoked. You're like, hey, don't worry about it. They're not addictive, and you handed, you showed me a package of American spirits and pointed to the words, no, no it, additives. It was Winston's. They were Winston's? They were Winston's, I'm pretty sure. I think at that time you were on American Spirits. You that might switch to instance. Maybe that might be true. I remember. No, my God. <laughs> yeah, that is. I just love it because I feel like you were genuinely starting to smoke in what you felt like was a responsible manner. You're like, well, these ones aren't addictive, so I, yeah. this is a way to be cool without the risk. And then it's like, oh shit. No. Yes. <laughs> And, and yeah, and uh, they are addictive and it's very, uh, it's one thing to quit for a short period of time, but it's another thing never to touch one again. And uh, I'd like to get to that point at some, at some point in the near future. But yeah, I, I, if, I if I could accomplish that you, with psychedelics, that, uh, well, we can talk, we can talk more about that some other time for sure. I would think, I think you are correct though. It can help. What also helps is like being in a situation where you can't smoke. I almost got on the, you know, I almost stayed on the wagon after my time in the hospital when I was mm-hmm. in the hospital for 11, 12 days. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you, you can't really smoke while you're in the hospital, especially when you're in a lot of pain and getting up and walking is already hard enough. You know, you're not going to be going outside and you're thinking about a lot of other stuff. Once I got out of the hospital, I think I stayed quit. I stayed off cigarettes for like three weeks and I, you know, it was like I was going good and then I just had a moment of weakness and found myself, you know, searching them out again. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't you know, no, but you're not wrong. If you're fun, it's funny that you bring up the regrets. I didn't mention that one, but yeah, if I could, I don't know. Well, that's actually something I don't know. It's like, what would my, like, what would your life be like if you didn't smoke cigarettes? Because that, that one has a lot of social implications. So I'm not saying it's a good thing. Granted, <laughs> Do not smoke. If you're not smoking, there's no reason for you to smoke. I would say, though, that I, that is like a butterfly effect type, type of uh, change in somebody's life to, to change that. Sure. One. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't think I don't think there it's necessary to condone smoking to acknowledge that uh, to have not smoked uh, in a life that where you, you you were a smoker would have radically changed your life, not just in terms of the, the health implications, but more so just in terms of all the interactions that seeking out cigarettes or sharing a cigarette with someone else, you know, may have, have led to, uh, 
you know, pushing you on a certain trajectory. I mean, that's that's the whole idea of the butterfly effect. It doesn't take much in order mm-hmm. for things to be dramatically different. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I do feel like I owe you an opportunity to ask me a hard-hitting question since I put you on the spot here. So I don't know if you have one or <laughs> if you're going to holster it for another day, but I'll take it. I'll... Uh, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to holster it. Cause I, I think, um, you know, we, we started this late and it's starting to get, it's, it's not getting any earlier in the evening. So I'll, I'll hold on to that. Danny, you're definitely going to get hit hard sometime in the next few weeks with a question. Sure. Thank you so much for listening to the official Mega Moth Studios podcast. Our theme music is by James Holden. We're produced and edited by William Wymore. Our social media are um, at TikTok. We are Mega Moth Studios, all one word. On Instagram, we are X underscore seekers underscore of underscore fortune. And uh, the, on Facebook, we're just X Seekers of Fortune. You can play the beta version of our game, X Seekers of Fortune, for free on tabletopia.com. And if you are a Discord user, you can find a rival to play with at Discord. Um, our channel is what, X Seekers of Fortune? Yeah, um, the, the best way to get it, though, is there's a link in our link tree, which is accessible either through... Um the TikTok or the Instagram. So if you follow us on TikTok or Instagram and then click on the link tree, which is in the bio there, you'll see a, a link that will allow you to join the server. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, if you can go to that link tree or go to our website. In fact, recently we discovered that if you just Google X Seekers of Fortune on Google, you will will be in the top three results. Uh, I think our website is result number one and Tabletopia and Facebook are results two and three. I can't so. promise you can get a Discord link off the website yet. I need to look into that because um, I, I think I ran into some sort of thing, but you can definitely get it through Instagram and TikTok. Okay. Well, I'm really looking forward to that. You know, we're just tightening it up week, week in, week out. Danny's doing a great job tightening up the website and the link trees and getting all those things leading to the same place. And I think we're going to see a lot more developments there in the next week or two. Um, so just be on the lookout. And uh, if you need any updates, just uh, put your email address in at our website and we'll make sure to let you know when new things are happening. The one other thing I'd add here, because I don't see in the show notes, is starting on uh, July 11th and every Tuesday thereafter, we will be hosting Tuesday Night X on our Discord server. Every week you'll be able to hang out with us from 4 p.m sorry, excuse me, from 8 p.m. to midnight Central Standard Time. And um, we are going to just uh, be answering questions. Uh, We'll be doing some streaming. Uh, There'll be an opportunity for you to find people to play with because it'll sort of be the the one time a week where everyone gets together and and you can reliably meet other members of the community that um, you might be able to meet up with at different times during the week. So uh, definitely encourage you to come out. We will have um, some featured matches, and if you come out and participate and play and we get to know you, uh, you may find yourself on a featured match uh, one day in the future. So yeah. please uh, join us. Again, you can find the, the link to Discord to join us for Tuesday Night X either through our TikTok 
or Instagram uh, link tree. Uh, and yeah, you'll definitely be seeing more about Tuesday Night X on any of those social media platforms. We're going to be pushing that pretty hard here in the next few weeks. So, you know, be be one of the first ones. Come out early and, you know, you might actually be able to find one of those elements of the game that might be slightly broken. And, you know, at this point, anybody who breaks the game that we have to fix it, we're going to put you in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. And you might you might end up, uh, I don't know, you might end up on a card one day. Yeah. So come on out. Come play the game. Come enjoy the game. Come break the game. Um, but with that, Danny, I think it's been a, a pretty damn good episode. So let's go ahead and sign off. I've been Joel Watts. And I'm, I'm Danny. You're Danny. Hey. Yes, sir, you are. And we'll see you next time, Fortune Seekers. See you guys next time. Do we need to do like a postscript about thing? <laughs> <laughs>